Good morning. Uh, like Lisa said, my name is Dave Werns, and I have the, the honor and privilege of serving here at Grace Fellowship as the Director of Missions and Mobilization. And most weeks, I tend to take that hat off and put it aside as we open up God's Word and we, we seek to apply His wisdom and His power to our everyday life. But today, I'm actually going to hang on to that hat, and we're going to wear that for the duration of our time together. You see, today is Missions Sunday. And I, I think some of you may remember that, that Pastor Peter preached back uh, several weeks ago, the very beginning of our Jonah series. He reminded us from God's word that you are not the main character in your own life story. Right? None of us are actually the main character in our own lives. God is. And since God is the main character in, in each and every one of our lives, what we love to do is take a... A periodic break, right, from your regularly scheduled programming and highlight some breaking news for what God is doing in his world. Sometimes it's in in the lives of people around you and the roads next to you, right? That's our, our testimony Sundays. Occasionally, it's in the lives of people thousands of miles away. That's our missions Sunday. So thank you for coming and hearing about God's great work it is great. So instead of just reading off a, a long list of names that perhaps you've never heard of, uh, or, or maybe just giving a report card on some projects that you were completely unaware of before today, anyhow, I think our best use of time, right, the, the, the best way we could spend our time together is if we all get on the same page about what missions is here at Grace Fellowship Church. What are we doing what is God doing? And I would love if at the end of our time together, right, that we were all walking forward in some very simple next steps, but, but that we clearly understood why do we engage in cross-cultural ministry? And what does that look like day to day, year in and year out here at your particular church? So before we get too far down that road, would you join me in, in asking for God's help? We're going to pray, like, like Lisa mentioned, we, we believe in the power of prayer. And so, would you join us in praying that God would give us the wisdom to understand his plan for the world, both as individuals and as a church? Join me in praying, please. Father God, we are so grateful that you are committed to saving people that you're not just displaying your glory to the world through starfish and, and suns and planets, but, but through the lives and the reconciliation of people and people groups. Father, would you show us from your word with your spirit how we can participate in your good, marvelous plan, both as individuals and as a church body. We trust that you will do that today for us. Amen. Amen. So since we're trying to get everybody on the same page, right? We're trying to get but the same thoughts going on in, in most people's minds at the same time, which is difficult, I, I admit, but we're going to try. Let's start by tackling the word missions. When we say the word missions, what does that actually mean? I'm pretty sure that if you put 10 different Christians into a room and you ask them all that question, what is missions? You'd walk away with about 15 different answers, maybe 50 new questions. 
you know what, that's okay, all right? That's, that's all right. I doubt if we're ever going to arrive at a, a definition of missions that everybody can agree on and feel comfortable with. And even as the missions guy, right, that's fine. No big deal, right? We've got bigger fish to fry. That's okay. But since we're all family here, it would help if we all had some agreement on what we mean, at least, when we say missions, And so here at Grace Fellowship, when we say the word missions, it almost always means a a long-term investment of our time, our money, our people in a one-way ticket kind of a way, right? In another culture to make disciples of Jesus. Let me say that again. Here here at Grace Fellowship, when we say missions, it almost always means a long-term one-way investment of resources, right? Our time, our people, our money, in order to make disciples of Jesus in some other culture. We, we do other things, right? There's other stuff that we do as well. We just call it something different, right? If, it, if it's here in our local culture, right? American culture, and we're doing ministry, we call it local ministry. Even if it's happening in Indiana or Pennsylvania, right? I know that doesn't always make sense, but it's, it's how we roll, If it's in another culture, right, but it's just a quick out and back, right, a round-trip plane ticket, we're going to call that short-term trips or short-term missions. And and we'll get more into that a little bit later. But the reason we put such a heavy emphasis on long-term, one-way plane ticket kind of ministry to another culture, and when I say heavy, okay, when I say a heavy emphasis, I'm talking tens of thousands of man-hours, Okay, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Countless relational equity. Year in, year out. Every year, we are pumping resources into these long-term, one-way ticket kind of missions. The reason we put such a heavy emphasis is because we as a church have embraced one big-picture motivation for all of our cross-cultural ministry, right? One big why behind everything we do cross-cultural. We believe that God is worthy to be worshipped by every kind of person that he's created on our planet. He is worthy to be worshipped by everyone. That's our motivation, right? Would you turn with me to Revelation chapter 5? I want to see what that, what that looks like a little bit. It's in the back of the book. If you haven't made it there that far, that's okay. We'll, we'll get there someday, I'm sure. Revelation chapter 5. I'm actually just going to read the whole chapter. It's pretty quick. Revelation chapter 5. This is the uh, disciple John, the apostle John, writing about what he saw in a vision. John said, Then I saw at the right hand of him who was seated at the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break the seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne 
and the four living creatures. And among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you made them into a kingdom of priests to our God. And they shall reign on the earth. And then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Friends, we serve a God who is worthy. We serve a king who is worthy. And this, this glimpse, this brief window into the inevitable end of all things, it absolutely gives us hope as we go out and engage a, a hostile world with the gospel. But folks, our real motivation, right, the real oomph behind what we do is today, even today, before the end of the story, we here at Grace Fellowship can sing with all our hearts. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. We as a church, we believe with everything we have that he is worthy to take the scroll because he was slain. And by his blood, he ransomed people to God from every tribe, every nation, every language, every people. And since we believe that, right, since we believe that he is worthy to be worshipped and he is going to be worshipped, right, he will be worshipped by some people from all peoples, then it becomes very reasonable for us to say that whatever it takes... For that to happen, it will have been worth it. Whatever the price tag, to see that inevitable end, it's worth it. I don't even have to see the receipt. It's worth it. But you realize when I say worth it, there is an implication, right? It implies there is a real cost. You guys feel that, right? <laughs> it's both tangible it costs money. It takes time. There's materials. There's energy that needs to be spent. And there's also immaterial cost. There are relationships. There are, there are memories that will not be made. There are opportunities that need to be passed over. There are very real emotional and relational losses that come with this end. 
And every one of our missionaries is going to feel this loss at some point in time, to some degree. But one partner that I can think of particularly exemplifies this very realistic price tag of what it costs for some people to to love God appropriately because they know him accurately. Kim and Annie Kolich have been translating the Bible into the Tommy language for just short of 30 years. They live in what is essentially a treehouse in a very small village on the island of Papua New Guinea. Right now, uh, they are in Virginia, but, but right before the pandemic shut down the world and, and trapped them here on our side of the pond, a very small team of, of people from Grace Fellowship Church went and stayed in the village for just a few days. I was on that team. And so I can say from firsthand experience that the, the cost of living there, right, the effort that it takes to survive in that little village is phenomenal. Every single day costs you. But having been close friends with Kim and Annie for many years, I can also tell you that the cost of staying alive in that village pales in comparison to the cost of not living here. The opportunity for sticker shock, even buyer's remorse, just grows and grows as their daughters got older and moved away. As their parents got older, passed away. Or as their grandchildren are born very, very far away and get older. And as friendships get cold and start fading away. Folks, the price tag is very, very real. The worship is genuine. We saw it, we loved it. And the price is high. But if Kim Kolich were here today, if Kim and Annie were on this stage today, I guarantee you they would not flinch to tell you the entire cost, the physical, the emotional, the material, the relational price tag of the last 30 years of investment. And he would tell you that it's worth it. Not because he loves the Tommy people, though he does. Not because he loves the Bible, though he does. He would tell you it's worth it because he is convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is worthy to be known and loved by people who do not know him yet. That is our driving motivation. That is the reason we can say it's worth it. That's why we do what we do here. Admittedly, that's not a very unique motive. Right? I'm sure there are many churches that are doing cross-cultural ministry very different than ours who are moved by a very similar motive. You might say that that vision, right, the vision to see God worshipped by some people among all peoples, it is unique to Christians. But it's not unique enough to distinguish between churches and organizations, Right? It sets us apart from the secular humanitarian efforts of the world, which we are grateful for and very distinct from. But it doesn't help us know who to send or when to partner. I'll say it as bluntly as I can. 
Just because an individual or an organization can give a hearty amen to Revelation 5, it does not mean that Grace Fellowship Church is going to send them or partner with them. Now might be a really good time to clarify what those two words mean, sending and partnering. (laughs) I know sometimes they get used interchangeably, right? But they actually mean something very different here. The biggest difference is going to be the, the nature of the relationship, right? The people we send versus the people we partner with, we just have a different relationship. And the simplest way I can say it, we send people who are from our family. And we partner with people who are from somewhere else. I know that's not very helpful, right? Another way to say it, we send people who are one of us. And we partner with people who are not quite one one of us, but they're close enough in their motive, in their methods, right? Maybe even their goals. And that sounds pretty easy to distinguish until you start asking questions like, well, how do you know if you're from Grace Fellowship? Right? How long does it take to become one of us? <laughs> Here's a scenario. What if, what if you've been gone for a long time? Can you still say you're from here? Or maybe, maybe you were part of our youth group, right? But then you went away to college, and then you got married, but your parents are still super active here, and you graduated, and you feel the call to missions. Are you still from, uh, are you still one of us? As you probably have guessed, there are very few clear-cut answers to these kinds of questions. But believe it or not, the questions about sending people, who to send and where to send them, way easier than the questions about partnerships with outside individuals or organizations. It took me about 48 hours in this role as director of missions for me to realize that a big chunk of my time is going to be spent trying to let people down gently as they approach us for potential partnerships. The running joke in the office is I get paid to disappoint people. That's, that's my role here. You're welcome. At a glance, I know it might look like I'm splitting hairs, right? That I'm arguing semantics, partner versus send. You know, maybe to a degree I am. But it gets a lot more important to clarify those terms when you start to see the flow of resources. It is a heavy investment to send. And here at Grace Fellowship, we are are committed to living out 3 John 1.6, where we send our people out in a manner worthy of God. It's not just writing a check. It's definitely not just checking a box. There was a A man named William Carey. Some of you that are uh, more familiar with missions than others may recognize his name. He's he's often called the father of modern missions. He lived and he preached in England in the late 1700s. He's perhaps most famous for a sermon that he gave on Isaiah 54. It had, had two points. Attempt great things for God. Expect great things from God. It's phenomenal. Right? That, that sermon has inspired millions of believers to courageous acts of faith over the centuries. I'm grateful for it. But in recent years, I've found myself moved by a slightly lesser-known quote by Mr. Carey. 
The story goes that as he was leaving England, he was talking with some of his colleagues at the time, and he was about to leave on what would become a 41-year mission trip. Continuous, no breaks, no furloughs. And so these were the men he was going to be seeing the last of for a very long time in his mind. For some of them, the last time they would see him alive. And as he was discussing the journey, he, he compared it, right? His mission to India, he compared that journey to a man going down into a very deep, dark, unexplored mine. And he told his fellow pastors, I will go down into that pit if you will hold the ropes. Folks, sending from Grace Fellowship means we hold the ropes for the people we send. We hold the ropes for the people going down into the pit. And we hold them by praying for them, by, by encouraging them over, over email or Marco Polo or, or WhatsApp or FaceTime or whatever you have. We hold the ropes by giving sacrificially, by welcoming them into our homes, by lending them our cars, our, our talent, our time. We especially hold the ropes when we stay friends with them over long periods of time in multiple time zones. And we might help share that responsibility with some of the people we partner with, but we, fail, we, we feel the entire weight of that responsibility for the people who we send because they're one of us. We don't do it perfectly. We fail regularly. Again, I, I get paid to disappoint people, right? So, nevertheless, we take sending very, very seriously here. Maybe you're saying to yourself, okay, Dave, I get it. That's fine. Calm down, buddy. All right, take a breath. <laughs> you know, you still haven't really told us how we get from that big picture vision down to partnering or sending somebody. So what, is that, what does that even look like? Is there a form? Do we fill out an application? Are there tryouts? <laughs> Maybe just wait for somebody to, to volunteer as tribute. We'll take that, right? There's a show of hands. We'll take that. Again, there's very little about cross-cultural ministry that, that is as structured or clean-cut as I would prefer. But I believe there are two unique qualities about our church. Right? There are two very unique distinctives about our church in particular that help us decide who do we send and when do we partner. Who is one of us, even if they haven't been here very long? And the first of those, it's pretty obvious, right? It's a little more obvious than the second. The first distinctive is the role that biblical counseling has played in our church so far. You don't have to go very far in our church to bump into biblical counseling. In fact, God has given us a, a tremendous blessing in, in vision, in talent, experience. He's given us resources. And frankly, all of you brought enough sin and problems that everybody gets plenty of practice. So... With as much training that goes on here, with as much biblical counseling training as we have here in our church, it's not surprising that the people God is bringing to the surface that we would be delighted to send are coming out of our counseling ministry. 
And so rather than competing for people and resources, scrapping over, over every little piece of, of information or, or availability, we decided to make biblical counseling training one of our long-term goals for all of our cross-cultural ministry. Specifically, right, we want to cultivate biblical counseling movements in other cultures. It's not a copy-paste What we do here, we're going to do there, right? Every culture is different, but we want to help grow that. We want to use what God has given us to help grow a ministry similar to what he's done here. And we do it in three ways, right? The first way is we we equip local biblical counselors in that culture if God already has them there. In many places, we're late to the game. God has used so many other means besides Grace Fellowship Church to grow his church and the biblical counseling movement around the world. Oftentimes, we're jumping in as people are just getting to the finish line. It's glorious. really is. Be there for the celebration and cake. Oftentimes, though, it means we translate for the first time some of the resources God has been using here to help families and, and ministries stay strong. Sometimes it means teaching in the conferences or or the seminaries that God has already established or built or even helping to structure them. Occasionally, it means that we just plug in local counselors to a larger network of like-minded people and give them help and support that way. The second way that that we can help cultivate that national biblical counseling movement is we can help establish local counseling ministries inside of a church, similar to this. Right, training counselors and establishing ministries. That, that sounds a little bit similar, but, but hang with me. They are very different, okay? Count, training a counselor, that's like, that's like helping coach a, a kid in playing baseball, okay? So if we train a counselor, we now have somebody, he's got his little hat and his ball glove and his, his, uh, what is, uh, watermelon seeds, I guess. It's helpful, right? He can get somebody going and they can figure out from there, but... Establishing a biblical counseling training ministry inside of a church, that's more like equipping somebody to coach a baseball team. Okay, helping them understand how do you evaluate talent, right? How do you place positions? How do you coach specific skills? What does it even look like to run a practice? That role is much harder to find. It takes a lot longer before they're ready. But when we have both counselors and churches that are ready to equip those counselors, right? We can also then start to equip whole churches. An entire church that's ready to take over the role of training in their country, in their culture, in their language. And that church can then become a hub of biblical counseling training, of resources, not unlike what God has done here. We've sent four different times... Families into four different countries with this very specific goal of cultivating national biblical counseling movements. We've sent Blair and Sue Alvidrez into Albania. We sent John and Sandy Dostal into the Czech Republic. We sent Ken and Beth Long into Germany. And we sent Doug and Diane Marksberry into Romania. I wish I had time to tell you everything I know about them, but we don't. Fortunately for you, All of them are going to be available very, very soon. Blair and Sue are coming back to the United States for several months next week. Right, John and Sandy are coming back sometime in October, and they're going to be staying for the better part of a year. 
Ken and Beth Long have been in Florida for a while. Again, COVID disrupts plans quite a bit, right? But, but they're available for the time being. Friends, I would highly recommend making some time to have a conversation with these families about what God has done in their lives and what God has done in the lives of the people we sent them to. You will not regret it. There are phenomenal stories. There's not any reason, <laughs> right? It's not, it's not for no reason that the men and women in Revelation 5 are singing their hearts out. Right? The reason is they've seen and heard stories like these families have. So if you're struggling to work up the passion that we obviously see in Revelation, I would recommend starting with a conversation with these folks. They've seen it. They can help. Now, I know a lot of you are not personally involved in our counseling ministry, and so I want to take just a moment and give you a little bit of a picture. Right? What does it mean to cultivate a ministry from start to finish? So I want to highlight Doug and Diane Marksberry and their work in Romania. In, in 2000, mid-2000s, in the mid-2000s, we were sending short-term trips regularly to the, the Romanian biblical counseling uh, that was happening already. We were helping to equip some of the local counselors, and it was going well. Nothing to, to write home about exactly, but it was going well. And in 2012, a commitment was made. After participating in these good trips, Doug and Diane Marksberry felt the call to move to Romania full-time. So they sold their house, they packed their stuff, and they moved. They left children, they left ministry. We missed them dearly. There's a gaping hole in our ministry capabilities because Doug and I am were gone. But they've been helping to establish local church counseling ministries ever since. And they had a big picture hope, right? They wondered one day maybe God would use them to eventually form a national training and certifying organization just for Romanians. I'm talking about the, the Marksberries today. I'm highlighting them particularly because I am delighted to report that as of today, there are three healthy churches with growing biblical counseling training ministries in two different cities. And they function not unlike what we have here. In addition to these churches, and in spite of a global pandemic, right, the Areopagus School of Biblical Counseling graduating, is graduating in a few weeks their largest class ever. After 10 years, 10 to 12 years of working through biblical counseling training, 155 individuals have completed a two-year course as of this November. Shows no signs of slowing down. In fact, the Zoom training has exploded in Romania. People are having a difficult time traveling, but they can always find Wi-Fi. Meanwhile, the official website for a national Romanian biblical counseling organization launched earlier this year. It went live with Romanian translated and Romanian written resources. And just a few weeks ago, a bold Romanian pastor took a big step of faith. He quit his day job and he's preparing to take the reins of this fledgling organization as a full-time ministry. We sent him a check last week. In short, the Romanian biblical counseling movement that was planted over 20 years ago before we ever even thought of going there. It's taken root. It's starting to blossom. And so in light of all this, in December of this year, Doug and Diane Marksberry are retiring from the mission field. 
They'll be returning to Grace Fellowship in, in the United States after 10 years of dedicated, full-time, cross-cultural work. They're coming back having done everything we sent them to accomplish and more. Friends, God is not finished in Romania. But there is now no more work for us to do. I hope and intend to give them a hero's welcome. The second distinctive feature, right, the second way that we know who is one of us, it's a little less obvious than our biblical counseling history. But I believe that God has used it to uniquely prepare Grace Fellowship Church to take the good news of Christ and, and the hope of the gospel to places that are particularly resistant, even hostile to that message. So let me try to connect a couple of dots for you, and I think you're going to agree we are well-suited to take the gospel where it isn't yet. Many of you are, are probably familiar that our church has eight big rocks. Uh, I hope you've looked at our website or been here long enough to remember those. They, they prioritize our resources. They help us make decisions in a, in a consistent manner. Even if you haven't been here long enough to be familiar with the eight big rocks, I'm pretty sure you'd recognize them if we told you. I, you might even be able to guess a few, right, if we, if we helped you out a little bit. You may think that big rock number three, that's our, that's our missions-minded rock. You might think that's what's going to prepare us for the hard and dark places of the world. Maybe. Right? I think it gives us the desire to go. I think being missions-minded gives us a reason to go, but, but it's not quite enough to help us stay in those places that the gospel hasn't penetrated yet. At least not long enough to see God actually working. Now, I believe that the kind of resilience that we need to stay in the places where the gospel is not, it comes from a unique combination of big rock number one. That's, that's Bible-based, right? And also big rock number eight. That's God's sovereignty. So when you combine Bible-based with God's sovereignty, I think it creates some staying power. Some of you have felt that already in your own lives. Some of you have felt that in your own marriages. Right? When people have been trained to read their Bible, how much of it? See, just like that. Pavlovian. It's great. But not just read it. Right? We're not just trained dogs reading a book. We are meditating. It's marinating into our lives. It's soaking into our circumstances. So when you've been trained to hold the word of God high and let it sink deep and then also embrace completely God's sovereign, good, providential will and you've learned to trust it and rely on it, friends, that'll make you tougher than a $2 steak. It's a combination of these traits that have sustained countless ministries in the past. Missionaries have survived on these two things alone for centuries. In fact, it's the example that Jesus himself gave to us as he was fighting through temptation in the desert, clung to God's word. And also, as he was preparing for the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane, right, he cast himself in the providential will of God. Now, there's no guarantee that mixing a high view of God's word and a deep commitment to God's sovereignty is going to sustain you through the 
the trials and persecutions, these regions that we're trying to send the gospel to. But seeing how often it sustains so many of you, right here, right now, in the troubles and trials that God has given you, it gives us a lot of confidence to keep sending people to the hard and dark regions in the least reached places of the world. I can't tell you how much I wish I was able to show you the people who are there already. I wish that I could share with you the things that God is doing. That they're incredible. Unfortunately, there is a risk of our people losing their ability to stay in those places. More of a risk of exposing some of their friends and partners in those regions to very harsh treatment. There's a reason the gospel hasn't penetrated these places fully yet. They're hard to get to, and they're difficult to stay in. But folks, these aren't the only people who are feeling and seeing the the spectacular power of God and his faithfulness. I wish we had time to share all of the stories of God's mercy and his kindness and his power. I'm reminded of the verses in, in Hebrews 11. If you would turn to Hebrews, I think you'll get a feel, a little bit of a feel for what these stories are like. Hebrews 11. Some of you might know this as the the hall of faith. We're going to pick it up towards the end at verse 32. Hebrews 11, verse 32. The author of Hebrews says, What more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, of Barak, of Samson, of Jephthah, of David, and the Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, they quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, they were made strong out of weakness and became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection and some were tortured refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world is not worthy. Friends, time would fail me to tell you of Wayne and Susie, of Andrew and Taylor, of Akira and Sarah, of Alex and Elena, of Steve and Kelly, of Kurt and Pam, of Tim and Helen, all of our Southeast Asia teams, of my mom, Liz. Time would fail me, but their stories will be told. And that's why we're making time every quarter for Missions Monday. It's a little more intimate setting where we can discuss some more sensitive, delicate topics in an open fashion. Registrations close. The first one's tomorrow night. If you're not registered, it's okay. Shoot me an email. I'll fit you, I'll fit you in. We'll find a way. Missions at graceky.org or, or Dave at graceky, either way. The Connect card will get you there, but it's slower. Friends, this is the reason why we send out weekly updates of what's happening in our missionaries' lives. This is the reason, folks, that 
It's the reason we take time to have phone calls and FaceTimes. These stories shouldn't wait until heaven to receive the kind of worship, right, to, to build the kind of song. I hope Revelation 5 is not the first time you're stirred to worship. I hope you've been practicing before you get there. And these aren't the only people we partner with. And they're not the only people we plan to send. And these goals, they're not set in stone. They're not nearly as black and white as they look on paper. But for the foreseeable future, we are aiming our best efforts and the bulk of our resources towards cultivating national biblical counseling movements and sending disciple makers to the least reached peoples on earth. Okay. Deep breath. All right. Wake up. I know it's a lot of information. Really appreciate you hanging with me. It means a lot to me. It means so much more to the people we've sent. I'm sure I've created more questions than I've answered. That's okay. You have my email. Missions at graceky.org. I do hope we have a better understanding of how we do missions here, of why we do missions here. And so I want to use the remainder of our time to describe how that world of cross-cultural ministry intersects with the world of normal life here in greater Cincinnati. Right? Our activities must overlap with their activities if we're all going to move forward on the same page. So just a quick recap. We have one big picture motivation. Some people from all peoples worshiping God for eternity. We have two strategic long-term goals that are unique to Grace Fellowship Church. Right? Cultivating cross-cultural biblical counseling movements. Sending disciple makers to the least reached. Now... Ironically, the way that we put legs on those mission and goal has very little to do with going overseas. In fact, you don't need a passport. You don't actually have to want to go to another country. Because that Venn diagram, right, that intersection of of local church life and cross-cultural ministry, right, that intersection actually occurs in three fundamental methods that God seems to be using for all of the ministry we do here. So getting into the main stream of Grace Fellowship here actually puts you in great position to worship God for what he's doing around the world. All three of these methods apply to every person at our church. And they can be done by anyone, regardless of age or skill set. And so I strongly encourage everyone to participate in the highest degree possible. Method number one, we train trainers here. 2 Timothy 2.2, you don't have to turn there. 2 Timothy 2.2 says that what you, this is Paul writing to Timothy, says what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Now I love that there's a general assumption here at Grace Fellowship, right? That if you go to church here, you are responsible to grow as a disciple of Jesus. I get the impression, the feeling that everybody has that earnestness, or at least that awareness. <laughs> or there's an expectation here that when the word of God is taught to you, you are to be doing something with it. Right? We're not just hearers of the word, we're doers of it. But if you count the layers that Paul lays out for Timothy, 
He's not satisfied with Timothy just being a disciple of Jesus. He's not satisfied with Timothy just discipling somebody else. He's expecting Timothy to be a spiritual grandfather. So my question is, what about you? Paul expects Timothy's disciples to be making disciples. Have you considered who you're entrusting with the training and teaching that's been given to you? Have you considered what your disciples are doing with the training and teaching that you've entrusted to them? I totally understand that it sounds very intimidating to be a spiritual grandparent. I get it. But you don't have to be an expert in what you've been given before you start passing it on. I'll say that again. You do not have to be an expert or a professional in what you've been given before you start passing it on. That's how you grow. Friends, if you want to take steps towards living out 2 Timothy 2.2, if you don't know where to start, again, shoot me an email. We'll put a plan together. You can get started this week. I'm a little tired. Maybe not this week. You can get started in August. You can get started without me. It's fine. This isn't for professionals, folks. It's the fundamental part of the normal Christian life. Training trainers, I get it. If it's, if it's well into counseling uh, cross-culturally, it, it's a natural fit. Right? We obviously want to see Czech pastors training Czech counselors. Japanese pastors training Japanese counselors. That makes sense. It's very intuitive. But it's not irrelevant to sending disciple makers. We want to see spiritual grandparents in that culture too. But it starts here. It starts with you here today. Or in August if you're going to shoot me an email. The second fundamental way that God is using our church in all ministries. First is training trainers. The second is sending senders. We send senders. I mentioned earlier that sending our people means holding on to the ropes as they go down into the unknown. Folks, even when a missionary has the best sending church possible, what we're finding is it takes more than our churches can give to get into the hard and dark places of the world. There's a reason the gospel hasn't penetrated. And so we're having to send from farther and farther out. And so we send senders. The people we send land, root themselves, grab ropes, and send from there. On Tuesday, Jordan and Lauren Thomas are leaving for Addis Ababa capital of Ethiopia. They're going to be helping with discipleship, with counseling, with children's ministry at a a new church plant in that capital city. Honestly, that just means they're going to be good church members. I'm happy about that. I'm grateful. I'm excited. But I'm so much more excited for the vision that their church has. I'm delighted to send them good church members because that church plans to train and equip and send church planters to the hard, dark places of East Africa, places like Somalia, places like Sudan, 
Places like Eritrea, they kill people there. Ethiopia is the new sending place. We send senders. David and Chris Lawrence, they have a church plant in northern Iraq. It's called Kurdistan. They're using their church planting experience of over two decades that they hard-earned in the UAE to establish template churches, right? Churches that other people can use as a, a template for planting churches. Because when you go to places like Pakistan, you go to places like India, you go to places, right, like Syria, there's nothing to model off of. What, are you going to Google it? How do I start a church? David and Chris Lawrence are training men and women who are willing to risk their lives to plant churches where churches don't exist yet. And they're sending them back to Central Asia and the Middle East. Nick and Tracy Darrington, God bless them, they made it to Thailand mid-pandemic. They landed in the middle of a global lockdown. And they have a vision to use their entrepreneurial skills to train Thai believers on how to start self-sustaining businesses. Not so they can feed their families, not so they can have a generational impact in their local church. They're training them to be self-sustaining so these Thai brothers and sisters can now go into the harder and darker corners of South Asia. The drug fields of Vietnam and Cambodia. The sex trafficking. This is stuff that Americans aren't going to be doing. But we can train. We can send This is what it means to be sending senders, folks. The hard news is if we plan to send senders, that means we're going to leave gaping holes in our ability to send more. The best candidates to go are also the best skilled at sending. And so that creates a lot of opportunities for those of us who are here now to grow in our rope-holding skills. Just to be clear, I am aware that it can feel like Every Sunday, we just keep piling on more and more of these opportunities, right? It's really just an obligation, thinly disguised. And you have a lot of opportunity already, right? Just this week, I gave you the opportunity to read your whole Bible, to disciple four people, to befriend a missionary for life, right? To volunteer in the nursery, to, uh, oh yeah, by the way, your kid just threw up in children's church. And you still have to get your oil changed and stand the deck and probably fix the garage door and a million other things that they're yours. It's what we have to do. These are our jobs. I get it. Most weeks, I feel like if somebody hands me another opportunity, they're going to get punched in the throat. And that's why our final method, right? That's why the final method that God seems to be using, it's probably the one we should start with. Persistent prayer. It's persistent prayer. Friends, the only way we're going to see where and when God would have us participate in his work of reconciling the whole world to himself is by regularly asking him for help. We don't have the option to ignore his call to send or go, but we also can't afford just to blaze a trail relying on our own wisdom and strength. Yes, there's a lot of work to be done. But Jesus said that his burden is light. 
His yoke is easy. And so if you're feeling weighed down by obligation and guilt, please pause. It's possible that you're either carrying more than he has for you today, or you've decided to do what he's given you without his help. Either way, the answer is to talk to him about it. This is especially true when we start talking about heart change in other cultures. Friends, our motive, our goals, our methods, they don't mean anything without the power of God changing hearts. 1 Corinthians 3 says that, what is Apollos? What is Paul? Right? We're servants through whom you believed. As the Lord assigned to each, I planted, Apollos watered, God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. Only God who makes things grow. Most of our missionaries, partners and sent ones alike, they don't start seeing any kind of growth, any kind of fruitfulness, until maybe after their fifth or sixth year. Many have been gone longer and are still waiting. Friends, I can't think of any way for us to participate in what God is doing around the world through our church than committing to pray with our workers until that work is done. And that's why consistent prayer partnership forms the the foundation for all of our short-term trips. I'd be delighted to talk with you more about how that works These trips are exhausting, they're expensive, they're disruptive. But if the net result is more fervent prayer, we're happy to pay the price. Prayer is what makes it happen. It's also how we partner. I don't believe you have to see a place or know a person before you can pray fervently and encourage well. Thousands of missionaries have been sustained by the power of prayer from people they've never met. But I will tell you, you pray differently for a place that you've smelled. So if you're a person who's willing to commit to praying with a missionary, to encouraging them through text, through email, through phone calls, FaceTime, get your passport. You're the kind of person we want to pour gas on and burn bright for a long time. Friends, as we close, I want to give you Three next steps. They're not in your outline. Grab a pen. That was my fault. Three next steps quickly. If you don't have a pen, just send yourself a text. Three very simple next steps that everybody can be doing. Number one, I want all of us to commit this next week asking God to show you if you have truly bought into that one primary motivation of seeing his name worshipped by every person. Some people from all peoples. If you don't have that motive, don't push through. This is not a make it, fake it till you make it moment. Talk to him until you do. But if you do, if you believe that he is worthy to be worshipped by some people from all peoples, would you ask two more things? Number one, would you ask how you can encourage one of our missionaries that are coming back to the States in the next few months. They're beat up. They're tired. They need help. They need encouragement. And they're one of us. Would you ask God how you, as an individual or as a family, can encourage one of our missionaries that are coming home 
And number two, would you ask God which specific missionary or partner you can help with persistent prayer? It may be the same name, it may not. Would you ask those two things? If you commit to talking to him about those three things, I'm confident God will work out the details. As always, we can chat. Shoot me an email. This is a very cool time to be in cross-cultural ministry. And it's a great time to be in cross-cultural ministry here at Grace Fellowship. Let me pray real quick. I'm over time. God, we love you. We love that you are a sending God and that you are a saving God. Would you bless my friends with wisdom, with courage? Would you bless them with a gift of encouragement as they hold the ropes for those we've sent? Amen.